Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Enjoy. Thanks. The order breakfast at the McDonald's drive-thru. Tell yourself you'll wait to eat it at work, but it smells way too good. So you eat it right there in the McDonald's parking lot, Neil. There's a meal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, get any size iced coffee for 99 cents until 11 a.m. And pair it with your favorite breakfast sandwich or one of our tasty bakery treats. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it. Dave Henry and there will be no popcorn. That's the sound of a beer opening because I'm going to fucking need one for this one. Welcome to episode 8 of the No Popcorn Podcast. It is, of course, No Encores Music and Movies Podcast. Yes, it's been two months. I do apologize. A lot of things have happened, including a Canadian holiday for me and a Canadian holiday for my best friend, David Higgins. Hey, Dave. Good to be back. It's um, great to be back. Yeah. Very long time we've been away, but... I would like to try and get a rain on this show, to be fair, because I do think we have something here. Yeah. Trying to get eight episodes over eight months. <laughs> what a month. I mean, that, there is some sort of consistency to that, but mm. probably not the consistency we thought we were going to be. Life that. gets in the way, man. Life finds a way. To be fair, we're going, we're, we are planning on recording another one very, very soon after you go off and do your marathon in Germany, which is coming up. Another holiday. <laughs> <laughs> what a jet setter. You know, I, it's just the life one lives. Yeah, so anyway, look, if you're listening to this podcast, you've come to the right place if you want to hear a discussion about a film that has a musical connection. Uh, so far, we go back and check. We've done Bohemian Rhapsody, we've done Rocket Man, we've done Queen of the Diamonds, Metallica, Some Kind of Monster, The Dirt, Straight Out of Compton, Sing Street was our most recent episode, which was a really good one. Green Room. Green Room, not Green Street, as Dave Higgins said. Or Green Book. <laughs> We're never doing that either. <laughs> that is about a musician, so, you know, it's in play. <laughs> no, no, don't even, don't even do it. Okay, so uh, right off the bat here, I'm going to just warn the listener 
here as I often do on No Encore. I'm pretty fucking tired today, man. So I really hope that we can just, you know, try and find some charismatic energy and exuberance in the fanatic. Channel your inner moose. Right. What's the fanatic? Uh, the Fanatic is the third movie from uh, Fred Durst, mostly known as singer of new metal band Limp Bizkit. It is about a a a grown, very grown man played by John Travolta, who is clearly in his late fifties at the at the youngest, who <laughs> is obsessed with an actor by the name of Hunter Dunbar who is, seems to be in kind of like kind of B movies but he seems to be pretty successful and certainly wins awards um, it's never explicitly stated but um, Moose isn't quite all there um, yeah this is the problem I mean this film is wildly problematic I mean the film never ever stops and says the words out loud this character is autistic and of course Right off the bat, there's of course nothing wrong with anyone who has autism or any kind of Asperger syndrome or anything. The, the, we, this is not a show that would ever condemn anybody based on their acuity or anything like that at all. This film, however, I think takes some really, really bizarre liberties with the idea of mental health. John Travolta's performance is one for the ages. Um, there's a theory that this film was made to ridicule him, but I don't think it is. This film is sincere. Yeah, no, it, it's not. Um uh, having watched some some interviews with like with Fred Durst, like he's genuinely incredibly enamored about the fact that he got to work with John Travolta. Like, you know, for you know, for people growing up, John Travolta's a name and like while he might not be that person anymore, he still has like a cultural cachet, particularly for someone like Fred Durst. So there's it's strangely candid um, but incredibly, incredibly clumsy. Travolta's obviously gone off the deep end so hard to the Nicolas Cage level. Who would have thought that the two leads of Face Off would one day become straight to streaming hell? However, I would argue that as with most actors of a certain quality, put them in the right role, give them the right director, give them a good script, you can probably tweak them. You can, and um, one thing I'm kind of curious about is how has Travolta not be kind of become one of Tarantino's like repertory players where, you know, you know, we have recently seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and it's just like a who's who. It's like how has he not popped up in one of those movies? How like he he doesn't seem like he's a person that is a tough get or, you know, a <laughs> tough pitch to get him in your movie. And he does um carry a weight of 40 years in the business and it's like I don't understand how filmmakers haven't tried to use that like people have used that within Nicolas Cage for example so he's been making as you said all these directed DVDs but in like the last 10 years you'll have a movie like Werner Herzog gets his hands on him and then suddenly it's like oh that's how you harness the energy and you can have something completely brilliant and transcendent no one has done that for Travolta you could argue that Tarantino did it in 1994 and feels yes. like, I've done it. I'll move on to someone else now. Now, to be fair, not to bury the lead here, but because we haven't really sat down with each other and talked about movies for quite some time, let's have a, just a quick digression here, a quick recap of the films that we have seen the last two months. Because you mentioned Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I saw it twice on my Canadian travels, twice, twice in the space of a week. And as a matter of fact, it's just left Irish cinemas. And I'm actually really upset because I wanted to go see it a third time. I was going to go see it a third time. But financial difficulties uh, meant that I just could not see it. So I'll see it again soon, hopefully when it hits streaming or whatever the fuck. We are divided on this movie. I adore it. I think it's the film of the year. Wow. I think um, it's a masterpiece, man. You did not like it at all. 
Um, I'm, I've kind of, I've warmed a little bit more on it. Um, there's a lot of the times where you kind of have to accept a movie for what it is and not what your idea of what it is going to be. And once upon a time in Hollywood, um, I, there were things about it I like, I generally thought were great. Like everything Leo and Brad related was wonderful. I just wish it was that and like you could cut out all the Manson shit and I feel like there could have been a really interesting movie about like two men out of time just struggling to find their place in the world. I don't think Tarantino kind of has it in him to just do that. Like he, he throughout his career has needed crutches of either falling back on dialogue or, you know, pop culture references and then when he kind of goes into the past and he's done some like, you know, uh, historical pieces. There's a crutch of just like, well, I'm going to subvert history. That's the thing that I do. And in this one, I was just, I don't know, I knew from the start exactly where it was going to go and exactly how it was going to end. I found the end kind of gross, didn't find it particularly funny. Great needle drop in it, in a movie that does not have good needle drops like that one just at the end is marvelous, but... Wait, is this the one, the the Snoopy versus the Red Baron song? The semi-free, why don't you baby, that one? Oh no, it's a different song altogether. The one um, he puts on just before it kicks yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but the, the cuts to DiCaprio and he's listening to music on his headphones. Oh, okay. it's, it's Snoopy versus the Red Baron, which is a novelty song. And he's like, he's like punch, punching the air because he's hammered. Look, listen, here's the thing, right? I mean, like, I the weird thing is, for a film that I think is absolutely brilliant, I agree. I actually agree. The, like, when I learned that Tarantino was doing a fucking Manson-related movie, I threw my eyes up to heaven. I don't want him to do it. I don't need yeah. it. And I wish he didn't do it. But I think for, for him, we seem to disagree on this point. I do think that there is sensitivity here. I do think that there's a beautiful, and again, it's, it's out fucking two months now. You've either seen it or you haven't. So some spoilers here, guys. Obviously, we get an alternate ending in terms of, you know, Inglorious Bastards saw a different future. Not quite the one I was expecting. I thought they were going to have, like, Sharon Tate murder everyone. And I'm glad that they didn't. Um, there was he, talk that, like, Sharon Tate and Bruce Lee would take down the Mansons. Which I'm very glad did not happen. Um, yeah, I agree with that. But here's the thing, right? And I don't, you know, I don't care about the fucking, you know, male-female politics of this movie. I just, I just don't care. And that's not me being, like, a white sexist male. Maybe it is. I don't know. I, I just don't care. You know, I don't care about these endless fucking Twitter battles. I just enjoyed what I saw. And I thought it was genuinely powerful. I, that bit at the end when her kind of fucking spectral voice comes over the, the voice monitor and Margot Robbie I think is phenomenal in this movie for someone who doesn't get much material. Hmm. I think she actually does a phenomenal fucking job. Um, I just thought that there was something beautiful about it, something poetic about it, giving these people who died horrific in real life and have had every detail of, of their demise poured over for years and it's going to keep happening in many different lurid ways I thought it was really respectful I thought it was I can't possibly speak for the families of these people but I'd like to think that if I if, if I saw this I'd be like something kind of beautiful there maybe I'm, maybe I'm just totally off base here I think you did thought talk there was a to, to the Tates and they were genuinely okay with it all yeah, I mean, like, especially like what you what you consider he could have done. Oh yeah, completely. You know? I thought um, I thought, it was, I thought there was something really kind of subtle and beautiful, and yeah, it, it's baggy. Yes, it doesn't have a plot. Yes, it has I mean, pointless kind of voiceover here and there, and it has questionable scenes and stuff. But I was just really, really taken by it, and I've mentioned it once, twice already. But Walter Chow's review for uh, Film Freak Central is one of the most beautiful pieces of writing I've read all year. Manages to weave the personal with the professional incredibly well, and I I keep thinking about the film. I, I keep thinking about it. I saw it the first time, and I was like, do I like this yes but i'm not sure why i saw it the second time and i was like no 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 i love it now 
and I will revisit it and I'd be up for that fucking potential Netflix miniseries and all this kind of stuff and give me more of it. It's flawed as fuck. It's yeah. frustrating, but I still thought it was fucking amazing. So there you go. Okay. Um, next. What's next on our list? It chapter two. Oh, good God. Yeah. <laughs> we won't spend too much long on this so, one. Says, says a man who is like currently every October I try and put down 31 <laughs> horror movies. <laughs> Got started early in September with it. Um, you you quite enjoyed the if chapter one. I, I recall fine. editing it's your grand. review back yeah. in the day when we were at state. It's fine. It's good. I, it's I, a good like fun house movie. Yeah, it's not scary, which 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 was the problem. I thought it was creepy enough, and I thought for its jump scares were good. Which I don't know. Most of them are you can choreograph them a mile away. I thought it did pretty well with that. I thought the kids were good. There was enough creepiness, and it, like it looked really nice. It was a lot of practical effects. I think like uh, Park Chan Wook's cinematographer like did it, so it was like all like the reds looked really gorgeous in it. This new one is just a CGI blob for yeah. like, three hours. What a shame! Yeah, it's so long. But this is another weird one because like there were elements to this one. Like this film is a barrage, and again, it's been out so long that you've either seen it or you haven't. I mean, ultimately, there were individual scenes, individual moments I thought were very powerful, but it's mixed in with this fucking 17 course meal, and you're just like, enough, please let me breathe here. And every scene is undercut with like a gag or a needle drop or uh, a CGI character running at the screen or whatever. And it's really annoying because there's clearly a great film in here and it has moments. Like one film, one scene that they invented for the film which is Pennywise under the bleachers uh, basically talking a young girl into her death is a great scene. Yeah. And Skarsgård is fantastic in that scene. It's brilliantly staged. It's effectively creepy. Lighting is gorgeous in that scene with like the... That's the firefly thing in his hands. That's wonderful. And his his thing of like the girl's smart and she's not going to fall for it, but then he appeals to her empathy and he does the kind of wounded, lonely clown, no one will play with me thing. It's brilliant. That's a brilliant, brilliant, a phenomenal moment in a great, like, like in any other horror, you're like, that's a, a fucking pitch perfect scene, but it's just surrounded by so much. It's the film of too much. It's pure excess. And by the end of it, you're like, I don't possibly care about any of this. And again, you said it as well. I thought about it when I saw it and listen, horror is horror. You want to be challenged, but this, I'm not going, you're going to see your fucking clown popcorn movie, you know? I don't know about the opening salvo, the opening triptych of horrific hate crime murder. Yeah, like a full on <laughs> lynching. And that, that has no, has no real purpose. Like it, no. if, you, if you just wanted. It's never followed up on it all. Like it, it doesn't, it doesn't really speak to what Derry has become in it. It's just like these guys did this thing. It was absolutely horrible. Uh, it's never mentioned again. No. Those characters. Never seen again. Committed are never seen again. No it's consequence. Just like, what is nothing. this about? And they like they they drafted in uh, Xavier Dolan, like that director, just to play one of the characters. It was just yeah. such a strange so scene. That happens, and it's horrific. And like again, if the film uses it, then fair enough. But it doesn't. And then you're automatically you have a scene with Jessica Chastain escaping domestic violence and a near rape, and then you have male suicide. And this is all like as the opening credits are rolling, and you're just like, cool. I still have two hours and 45 minutes of this to go. And a massive bag of popcorn in front of me. So yeah, I mean, look, listen, it has moments. It's just too much. Some people liked it, I guess, you know, but I think the general consensus was not great. Yeah, I watched a a couple of horror movies that came out this year as part of my spooky season. (laughs) Um, The remake of Child's Play. Wow. Gave that a whirl. Looked terrible. It's not great. It's it's watchable. It's funny. Mark Hamill does a good job as Chucky. Uh, Any Aubrey, recognizable faces in the cast? Aubrey Plaza. 
Brian Tyree Henry. I thought he was in it, yeah. yeah. Um, plays a cop. He's okay, has more to do than he does in Joker, but... Does he get look, murdered look horribly? <laughs> um, I don't want to spoil Child's Play on people. <laughs> yeah, Child's Play 2019. Like. But they, they change things. It's kind of an updated version of Chucky. They're very much looking into the internet of things and smart homes and uh, the buddy is a you know, sentient can control all your technology. He's not, unfortunately, the reincarnation of a serial killer in a doll. So you don't have that kind of like, I don't know, he's not as much of a, like a fun stinker of a psychopath. He's just like far more cold. Recommend or not? Um, you know, it's like, it's 90 minutes. I can, you know, 90 minutes. Why not? All right. What else? Um, the first Purge. I'm a big Purge fan. I like a Purge. <laughs> Um, but The Purge has kind of gone away from horror. Uh, this new one is basically the first one that ever happened. Um, I think since they brought Frank Grillo into it, they were just like, oh, well, maybe this movie is just like Escape from New York. <laughs> but in The First Purge, they were like, well, what about if The Purge but Die Hard? <laughs> so, you know, I'm not to go too far into it. One person fights back against The Purge, literally like takes off his... His uh, his like his sweatshirt, full white vest. It's dirty. He's got like a like a rucksack full of guns and explosives. He might as well just take his shoes off. It's like this sounds kind of good. Again, it's watchable, but not great. Rewatched, drag me to hell though. Okay, what a fun film. It has its moments. I remember being unconvinced by the CGI and just yeah, kind of... the CGI doesn't hold up at all. But it's just in terms of like a real quick in out, good scares great kind of you know Raimi going back to his Evil Dead days like super smash zooms everywhere um, just like very very fun good ending very good ending also I was thinking about this yesterday of all things and I didn't think of this film for some reason because I was, I was trying to think could I name five films with her in it I really thought we were going to have a star in Alison Lohman I was just talking about it with uh, a girlfriend after like she kind of disappeared off she she did that that year and did Gamer yeah and she married one of either Neville Dean or Taylor. Yeah, that's correct. And then Hassan, I think has made like two other movies. Stay at home mom or something. I don't know what's going on because she had something. She was good. Yeah. Great and Big Fish. She was in... Matchstick Men. Matchstick Men as well. Yeah, there's a couple of other things as well. Good actor. Yeah, and then, you know, we had a decent movie, I guess. Uh, so what else? Um, two more. A movie you hate. Mm-hmm. Hereditary. Gave it a rewatch. Mm-hmm. Hate's a very strong word. I was just immensely disappointed by it. Um, oh, I saw Midsummer, of course. Of course, in, you did. in Canada as well. And no, no, that I hated. Midsummer can get fucked, man. I liked it a lot. I hate it. I'm, I'm, I really hated it. Bad film. So predictable. So stupid. Like stupid characters. My biggest pet peeve in all the movies, and I know, and I preface this every time by saying this, I am sure, and it could happen to me someday, that there are many people throughout human history who have died not knowing it was about to happen to them when it was obvious to other people around them, and perhaps they even talk themselves into it by not knowing. Happens in fucking Joker, which we'll talk about in a moment, but like ultimately extremely annoying. But I'm sorry. I don't care if you're on fucking mushrooms in some permaday place in the middle of fucking Eastern Europe or whatever it is. If you're in this crew of people, <laughs> basic survival instincts kick in and you're like, you know what I won't do? I won't go off with the strange cult woman and then never be seen again. Oh, hang on, they've killed me. It's just stupid. It was dumb. It didn't have anything to say, I didn't think. And ultimately, when the ending rolls around, I mean, look, listen, it has. it looks great. 
good performances. Florence Pugh is great. Jack Raynard does a good job. He's a very good job in that. He does a pretty good job, and the character's stupid. Like, I mean, like, and everyone's like, everyone's like, oh, like you know, take your shitty toxic boyfriend, see Midsummer, and I'm like, listen, you know, I mean, I don't think the film has a thesis. I don't think it actually has commentary on relationships. I thought it was just really fucking hodgepodge hacked together. And then I found out after the fact that like they approached Ari Aster and they wanted to slash your film set at a festival. He didn't want to do that. So he did this. It feels really rushed. This feels very Jordan Peele's us to me, where it's like, I can see the ideas. Good individual moments, looks great, constructed well. Overall, you got nothing to say. I'm really sick of this this era of modern horror where it's like, I've seen a bunch of horror movies that are really good. I'll do that. So you, your kind of thing that you said to me when you it's saw the fucking Wicker Man, man. But like, is does that just mean that like cults are off the table then? No, but it's, like, tell me what like what Kill List. Because you, you said know, yeah, like, I was going to say because you said I'm the same about, about Kill List. Kill but, List like, is a much better film than this. Holy yeah, shit! Yeah, I, I agree. And falls apart at the ending, but it's a much better movie. It does. I don't think it falls apart at the end, but I think it would in something like Kill List is great because it's basically like a Ken Loach movie for forty five minutes and then. All hell you let it yeah. go wild. Um, and there's an element of that in Midsummer as well. I don't think it does what Hereditary, just to get back to that, does as well, where it is a good hour of pretty tough family drama and then just goes like batshit. It's like, it's like a, a light switch goes off. And I then, like the first hour of both movies and ultimately I just don't think the guy has a third act in him. And that thing at the end where like, you know, she smiles at the camera and I'm like, this is just something you came up with and you reverse engineered a film around it. I'm also not convinced that the guy doesn't have a fetish for crying and screaming women. Like, I don't know about that. I don't he, know. To talk about like crutches is like, fool me once with your kind of <laughs> getting me with that emotional gut punch in Hereditary and like, fool me twice is shame on me because he did it again with uh, Midsummer. It's like, I will not be falling for that again. Yeah, I mean, look, some people think it's a horror masterpiece. I just thought it was empty-headed. Last one, Prince of Darkness. Have you ever oh, seen wow. Prince of Darkness? I've actually never seen it. John Carpenter, right? Yeah, it's kind of one of Carpenter's like, not as well-revered. Um, it's great though, just like bonkers plot of uh, a bunch of basically scientists looking at some green ooze that might be the anti-god in the basement of a church um you have donald pleasance not going like full ham which is nice he's like kind of holds back as a priest score is amazing effects are deadly and like atmosphere is just incredible in it so do you have in the mouth of madness on your spooky season list i think i watched it either last year or the year before it's also fantastic. Yeah, I'm, I'm really in, in a Sam Neill mood at the moment, I think, for some reason. Event so you're Horizon. yourself a little double bill there. Event Horizon into Method Madness. Yeah. So uh, I'm well aware that we have an insane film to talk about, so I won't spend too long, but recently I have watched uh, Ready or Not. I saw that in the cinema the other night. Oh, how's that? It's good, yeah. Uh, this is the film with Samara Weaving that everyone's saying is making a star out of her. And yeah, she's really good. Long story short, it's a tight 90, 95 minute job. Uh, woman marries into a rich family. They have a tradition in which you have to play a game. Uh, if you draw a car that says hide and seek, they will hunt you for sport. And there's a whole ritual-based element involved. So it's very, very similar to your next back when I was just gonna say that. Adam Wingard made good movies. Uh, it's got Henry Cherney and Andy McDowell in the support cast, which is always welcome. Absolutely. It's good. It's good. It's smart. It moves at a clip. It's well written. It, it's nothing you haven't seen before, but it's done well. So it's a recommend for sure. Well executed, enjoyable, good ending, etc. Good popcorn movie, good date movie. Uh, apart from that, what else have I seen? Uh, I saw a film called The Art of Self-Defense, 
which I don't know if it's come out properly yet. I watched it illegally. Jesse Eisenberg? Jesse Eisenberg. And my boy... broke the law. I broke the law, yeah. Jesse Eisenberg, Image and Poots, and my boy, Alessandra Nivola of Face Off fame. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg plays Would You Believe It? A socially awkward neurotic man. Oh, (laughs) that's so. Who, it's a strange film in terms of like its sense of place and time. It's never clear. And there's no like modern technology and they kind of, there's little things that you're like, well, okay, there's like people using VHS and like, you know, so you're like, okay, maybe it's set in the 80s or something, but I guess it doesn't really mean too much. Long story short, Jesse Eisenberg gets mugged one night, wants to buy a gun, instead takes up karate and finds himself in this weird karate dojo run by Alessandro Nivola. And there's definitely something more sinister going on. But it's just an odd kind of 90-minute job. It's an odd kind of like, you know, the cadence of how people talk to each other. It's your classic art house kind of strange one. And ultimately... It might be a more nihilistic film than Joker, but I definitely enjoyed spending time with it a lot more than Joker. Let's talk about Joker. Let's. Right, cool. Again, I know, fanatic, but like, you know, we, we got to catch this up. So Joker, look, I think I've said all I can really say on it. I, I talked about it on No Encore. I've got a piece on Joe already. You may or may not have read it about the mental illness aspect. I'm not even sure it's worthy of all the commentary, but of course it is the Zeitgeist movie of the moment at time of recording. I have found myself in a cinema where, where an usher has shouted out to the crowd that the, the, this screening is sold out. The Lighthouse is putting up tweets that this screening is sold out. Everyone's going to see this fucking thing. It's going to make a billion dollars. Everyone's talking about it. Tell me what you thought about it. Um, the the basically in the in the in the past kind of few years, we've had to kind of put up with when any time a comic book movie has been released, primarily from Marvel, that through marketing and through director bullshit talk, they have told you that what you're going to see is not just a comic book movie. It is an Alan Pakula political thriller. It is a Robert Altman's Nashville. It is RoboCop. Um, it fucking they they did it so well with Joker because they just sold everyone on some idea of like you are going to see Scorsese, you know, you're basically karaoke Scorsese. Um, you are going to see a dangerous film. You are going to see a transgressive film, and what you go to see is just a comic book movie that is a little bit dirtier and gross and. But at the end of the day, like it's it's so so conventional. Um, it's obviously elevated by the fact that Joaquin Phoenix is incredible, um, and his performance is genuinely is great. It's so committed, and um, the choices that he makes are really good, and it looks lovely. You know, again, like they they've kind of they've been at pains to say that no CGI here. Um, Todd Phillips basically sold it as like a heist where he's like, I'm going to get to make like a $60 million film under a studio. And in fairness, this, that $60 million is on the screen. Like you're seeing it. It's like, it, it looks nice. The, the sets are amazing. Oh, the, the location is, is genuinely great. fantastic. Costumes. Like, yeah. So in that sense, it's like, it's good. It was like an immersive world, but it's just like, fuck, I don't want to live in this world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. I just um, don't really much to say about it. I just thought it was. I just thought it sucked. I just didn't like it. I thought it was mean. I thought it was cruel. I thought it was teenage edgy. I, I the Gary Glitter Needle Drop is insane. I mean, you know, look, listen, all, like on the record here, it's a tune. But I'm sorry, <laughs> we can't have it anymore. Have to have to call Craig up actually on the on the last show. Sports <laughs> teams don't play it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure either. To be fair, um, yeah, no, no, the. 
<laughs> so, some of them were holdouts, apparently. Some of them were like, no, you're playing Gary Glitter, great. Uh, but I think we can thank uh, Jack White that Seven Asian Army has just become so ubiquitous that they're like, okay, we didn't want to move on, but I guess we have, Seven Asian yeah. Army is good so we can put glitter to bed. Well, okay, so like manufactured controversy or like good marketing or whatever, I mean, like. People keep saying we're going to be talking about this film for decades. We're not. Of course we're not. There's there's nothing in it. And, um, you know, Joaquin Phoenix has been kind of saying that, like, oh, the reason I got on board is because, like, you know, it's a, it's you're in and then you're out. I, I didn't want to be, like, he was offered, like, Doctor Strange. He's like, I don't want to be part of this multi, you know, movie deal. But it's like, it's there. This movie is going to do bonkers money there's already talk of like there's talk like, of like exactly like, him into the Robert Pattinson so, fucking Batman yeah and like they this character is from, not, from literally like two weeks ago being like no this is one and done like we're doing something so so different it's like no it's like it's it is cookie cutter it's just you know putting different ingredients inside the cookie cutter <laughs> sure that was a terrible baking analogy. It's fine. Don't worry about it, man. It's grand. Yeah, I mean, I don't need any more of this stuff. I thought it was celebratory and glorifying. Am I wrong? You're not. Um, like, not to full spoiler it, but like, the ending of it and the way he's treated is essentially like Spider-Man on the subway in yeah. Spider-Man 2. Like that kind of like almost messianic figure where he's like, he represents us. We will carry him while he is injured and... Nurse him back to yeah. the safety. It's just like ugly <sighs> stuff. Um, nice to see Frances Conroy in a movie. I loved her in Six Feet Under. So great actor, very very good actor. She was in Catwoman, and now she's in Joker. Oh wow! There you go. Uh, Robert De Niro miscast for me. Absolutely. I mean, it's nice that he cares. Always nice to see De Niro caring. Yeah, and apparently he's going to care a lot in The Irishman. Which there's talk I've of come around on the idea of it. I've come around on the idea of it, but I still feel like three and a half hours is insane. <laughs> and, uh, Particularly to deal with like I don't care how much money you throw at de aging technology. Yeah. It's just you it, in spurts. It's fine, you know. And if you want to if you want to do it in like a reflection or like be clever about how you shoot it. But like, if I'm going to have to watch, you know, like a good, at least half of it must be de-aged. Yeah. It's going to be tough. Yeah. You know, there's talk of De Niro versus Phoenix for the best actor Oscar. But I mean, the one man who's being left out of these conversations is John Travolta. <laughs> of course. That's right. It's the fanatic. Let's do it. Uh, all right. I mean, I guess, you know, we talked for a long time there. Should we maybe just like dive in? Should we just like let the audience listen to a bit of the fanatic? Yeah. Should you want to give an introduction to Moose? Here's an introduction to John Travolta's character in the film fanatic. His name is Moose and he sounds like this. Hey, Aaron. Chocolate Moose. I can't talk too long. I got a poo. Oh. So, what's new with you? Nothing, just these thieves trying to take pictures of my stuff, see if they can get it cheaper on eBay. It's brutal. You want to know what's new with me? You got Martin Sheen's autograph on my Badlands poster. Nope. I'm going to a party tonight with Hunter Dunbar. Really? Yep. Hunter Dunbar? Yep. <laughs> How'd that happen? I got invited to the cast and crew party of the Friday Night Killer. Huh. Well, somebody's moving up in the world. Okay, so you have uh, 
prepared some notes for this podcast. I appreciate that. One of your headings here is John Travolta, what happened? Now, we have kind of hinted at this earlier on. We've talked about how he's gone from, I mean, he kind of went from, you know, like like people talk about he did Grease, then he was like nothing, and then Pulp Fiction came on, but that isn't really true. He's in great films like Blowout, you know, like he had has moments here and there. He ha- yeah. Saturday Night Fever, like, you know, like, like he was respected to a degree. He had a bad 80s. Like it started great because it started with Blowout, which is his best film, is Brian De Palma's best film, is an absolute masterpiece. Um, but like straight after Blowout, he made the sequel to Saturday Night Fever, which my God, we will one day do because it is my favorite <laughs> bad film ever. Staying Alive. Staying Alive, written and directed by Frank Sylvester Stallone. St- no, Sylvester Stallone. With music from Frank, Frank Stallone. Stallone. It is <laughs> deliriously bad. Uh, Don't you throw this on like when you're hungover sometimes? Just to, I... No, not when I'm hungover. I have had a tradition of the last two years on my birthday, I'm just like, I'm putting it on. <laughs> Jesus Because <laughs> like immediately I'm just in. And it's like <laughs> the, the Frank Stallone song, Far From Over, is a genuine banger. They play it around four or five times in it. <laughs> and John Travolta, by the end of it, is basically just wearing a loincloth like voguing for 20 minutes. It's... <laughs> Remarkable. I'm not hearing a negative here. Like, yeah. No. So, and yet Hollywood wasn't convinced. No. And so, like after that, like I think he did like in a time when like there was movies didn't get like sequels a lot. He like churned out three Look Who's Talking movies. And I think kind of <laughs> feel like you know that was like before Pulp Fiction. Like that was where John Travolta was. Right. Um, and then Quentin Tarantino saved him, and then he made terrible films. Apart, uh, 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 there's some good ones. You know, he had he had his nineties. He had Broken Arrow. He had Get Shorty. He had Face Off. Yeah, but he also had Phenomenon and Michael. And well, don't bury the lead. He had Battlefield Earth. Oh my god! So is that kind of what? destroyed it I think Battlefield Earth is probably the big one yeah because then he starts doing like really shit thrillers like Domestic Disturbance and the Thomas Jane Punisher which isn't the worst film of all time it's not a good one but it's, it's not the worst film of all pretty time pretty bad one it's not great it's not no it's yeah it's not great and then eventually he goes off the deep end and all of a sudden he's in like four films a month like Gotti and Trading Paint and stuff like this and basically like your Redbox in, in America with the movies that you literally rent from a vending machine <laughs> I tell you something do you impress for this movie you know I'm really glad to finally fucking see No Wig He's bald now. Yeah. He's finally admitted it. And he's, but he, he's had a few movies. He looks fine. He's had a few, like a good few movies going back nearly 10 years where he's been bald. Like, I think there was like To Paris with Love is like from the oh, Luc wow. Besson Europe like that. <laughs> from Paris with Love with was Jonathan, Jonathan Reese Myers. Myers. That yeah. film's fucking mental. He plays a character called Wax. Yeah. And he's got like, he's got the dome in it. He does. He's yeah. also in Swordfish with a bizarre haircut. Um, remember that movie? Very, very. Uh, all I recall from it is um, Hugh Jackman like Hugh doing Jackman. some coding while being filleted. Yes, um, with frosted tips. With well. frosted tips. Vinnie Jones is in that movie. I recall the Halle the, Berry infamous yeah. topless scene, and then the opening scene that is like bullet time, where like a ball bearing bomb goes off, and then yep. nothing else. With that Kills film. a lot of people, and like I think I'm pretty sure Travolta like it opens with a monologue of Travolta being like. You know, like films like Dog Day Afternoon, you know, like the real fucking heroes. And I was like, oh, it's one of these post-Tarantino movies. Okay, cool. Great. Yeah, it doesn't quite hold up. A film that looked dated as you watched it, you know, in 2001 in the cinema. So I guess 
before we hone in on this, and I know that I keep saying before we hone in on this, and I'm sure people have already fucking turned off the podcast, but it's our first one in a while. Travolta, yay or nay? Force for good or force for bad in the cinematic universe that is Hollywood? As I kind of said at the start, I think he's good. Like, I'm coming he, down on he, good. He, yeah. has, he has an incredible energy. He has a presence. Um, we obviously didn't mention uh, The People versus OJ. You know, that was kind of like, that oh, was yeah, his of kind course. of comeback. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. Um, and he's good there. in that. He is good I don't think that. it's very, it's a very good show, no. but um, <laughs> he's good. So put him in the right thing and, you know, you'll get something. But he's just kind of seems like one of these people who's just like, where's my next check? Where's my next check? You know, these movies, kind of like Bruce Willis, but... In fairness, he doesn't sleepwalk through movies like Bruce Willis does. Oh yeah, I mean, like, listen, he commits to this one. Uh, yeah, put him in the wrong thing, and then you have the fanatic. Now, this film kind of came out of nowhere this year. I remember seeing like a couple of news stories on websites being like, "You must see this trailer." Like John Travolta looks crazy in it. Uh, the character of Moose—that's the name of his character—resembles um, a man-child, basically, like something that Robin Williams would have played in the nineties. Uh, he has a bizarre mullet thing going on, which yeah. is gray, and it. it it's like there's he looks like it's, an old it's, woman. it's a mullet but it's also like a dead rat it's, it's, yeah like it looks head. like um davy crockett's like hat kind of like popped on his head <laughs> gee yeah he's like he's john Travolta in the fucking revenant but it's like why why haven't they just attempted to like give him a fade so it looks like it's actually hair on top of you know so he has that he has big deirdre barlow glasses he has colorful max Payne style shirts he kind uh, of dresses like riffraff or <laughs> Alien from Spring Breakers without the cornrows. Yeah, and he has, he has a backpack. Everything the character does, and again, I mean, like, I'm skirting the line here because this film is so crazy problematic that, like, it's just, it, it's a fan. Like, like, again, Travolta's going for it in every scene. It's like he's playing Forrest Gump on meth, and I don't know why. I don't know what the... The, the premise is I'm after writing a fucking 1200 word piece about the mental illness aspect of Joker and even that I was like why am I doing this okay fine I'm just I guess I'm 600 words and I'm doing this if I was asked to write about the mental illness aspect of the fanatic I would just say no because I'm like why like what, what am I gonna say it's it, so it doesn't it's put anything so, forward no it's just this character is deranged he's unhinged he's like a child he's obsessed with Hollywood he's obsessed with this actor Hunter Dunbar to do an impression of Travolta's character in this movie would be so wildly offensive I would never even consider it. You've heard him there. We'll probably play some more clips. I found this a very uncomfortable watch. Yeah. Um, this isn't so bad it's good. This is... it. There are parts in it that are no doubt very, very funny, but I did find it at points <laughs> incredibly upsetting. Yes. And, and like incredibly upsetting in a way that I, I was like, I'd have to commend how Travolta was acting, but also like, I guess like just taking it into the context of some of the things that were happening in the scenes where just like, this is like, this person is not right. And, you know, they, they need to be looked after and, you know, they're not being looked after. Like that's not a really fun thing to like, you know, have a short laugh for 90 minutes. As I said, like there are moments where you will laugh because it's impossible. There are not some to. Gen- like kind of generally funny moments it's that, pure, that, no, that are aiming for comedy. I likened it to seeing Drive in the cinema, and I remember like the sequence where he takes out two hitmen in a bathroom, and one of them via like shower curtain, and it's so stylistically violent and 
like something you may never have seen before for some people and people in the audience laughed and I, I, I was like well that's clearly nervous laughter that's clearly this is surreal and I don't know how else to react to this now I watched this solo in my fucking room at like three in the afternoon I don't know what I was thinking oh, wow. on like a day off and very quickly I was like this is uncomfortable John Travolta is rocking back and forth all the time he's pacing around the place he's muttering to himself he's like grabbing his ear it's like the, the whole there's so much shorthand for what someone thinks mental illness looks like. The comparison that, has been made, and I don't even feel great about it because I'm not a fan of the movie, but it's it's the Tropic Thunder thing. Like yeah. It is that thing of like a prestige actor or a once prestige actor being like, I can do that. It's Bradley Cooper doing the fucking Elephant Man on Broadway. You know, it's very yeah. much like, you got it wrong, guys. But it comes from a script that Fred Durst was inspired by, based on true events, supposedly. Based on a true events of uh, a waiter in a restaurant that he used to go to who one day asked him for an autograph. Right. So Fred Durst's thesis of this is, is it's about fandom. It's about a toxic type of fandom. There's a film to be made There's about a that film. for sure. There have been films been made about it, The Fan, Misery, but I can't think of one that has been made kind of for the modern age. Well, maybe apart from, to an extent, Joker. Um, but there is a film that you could make about there are a lot of awful fans out there who do some awful shit. And Moose could have been that. Moose could have done all the things that he does in this. He could have been as obsessive. But it just didn't like need to add this extra layer onto it just seemingly for um, Travolta to like really, re- like I'm sinking my teeth into this. Like they, I watched a Q&A with them and they made no reference to any condition that Moose has, like obviously they don't say in the movie, they're just like, Moose is, you know, once you see Moose, you can't unsee Moose. And it's like, <laughs> okay. And like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's like, is this supposed to be like kind of, you know, like, you know, back in the day, circus act come see. Cause like, it's such a decision. I mean, whether it's written in the script or whether it was developed when Travolta signed on, I mean like, this isn't an accident. This is like a commitment for an 88 fucking minutes. He's on screen pretty much all the time. Uh, okay, I guess the one question I haven't asked, and this is a tough one to answer, is Travolta good in this? Um, there are moments when I feel like, that. yeah, he's like quite effective. Yeah, um, there are, right? There genuinely and, are, but it's in service of something that is so willfully like problematic. And this isn't like, oh, like fucking 2019 snowflake whatever the fuck you know like, you know like i think if you watch this film in 1972 you'd be like what's going on i mean like yeah. it's just, it's really they're poorly executed there are a couple of good like line reads that he seems to nail quite well but there are there's a lot of improvisation in this movie i think um is him fucking crashing a moped because that looked real i was like oh man, yeah they, that looks so I, I think they actually did that because they filmed the film in alabama not Hollywood, right? But they did in, in, in like seventeen days. But they clearly filmed some guerrilla stuff in Hollywood. Oh yeah, yeah. With no, so like, there's with a scene no where purpose, it looks like yeah. a guy is just chasing the underworld on the moped for no reason. Just, they're just like, we'll just put it in. And they obviously did, tried to do some um, guerrilla on Hollywood Boulevard, like outside the I think it's like the Egyptian theater. Yeah, like very famous because uh, he plays a street performer. So 
Let's talk about the street performers. Jesus Christ. So this is the thing in, in Hollywood. There are street performers, mm-hmm. like, most, like we have buskers, but on Hollywood Boulevard, the street performers tend to be, like if you went down there today, you would find Iron Man, Spider-Man, you would find Spider-Man. Marilyn Monroe. You'd probably find the Joker, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> this version. <laughs> Maybe. Jesus Christ. Would you rather find this version of the Joker or Jared Leto's version of the Joker? I'll take Cesar Romero's, please. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but John Travolta, Moose's idea and I think the, the the reason for this is because they can't afford the rights to like <laughs> anything, anything. <laughs> is that he is a good old British Bobby wanna, makes, can we hear yeah, just a, a little bit of this this is one of the I feel bits that you can laugh at hello welcome to all London Bridge is right over there. It's over. The Beatles are here. The Beatles are here. <laughs> Hello, Tracy. Hello, Tracy. Hello, Tracy. Jack the Ripper. Jack the Ripper. <laughs> I don't know if you can laugh at it though. It's so It's a silly accent, but it's yeah, it's it's daft. I, I think I sent you a screenshot <laughs> of it when I was watching it. Um I had no idea what was going you on. You said Paddington 3 looks lit. <laughs> I, at first I didn't realize what it was, and then I was like, oh no, I think I know what that is. And then when I watched it for myself, it was my horror was confirmed. There's a moment, and it's probably in the trailer as well, where like you see Travolta kind of contorting his body, not unlike Walking Phoenix and the Joker, and like milling around, and it's set to this weird kind of like almost Birdman-esque, really cheap little version. And I was just like, okay, I'm I'm laughing now because I just, yeah. I mean, again, I it's it's so surreal. I've never seen anything like this, and it's sad as fuck. He plays this failing street performer that no one's interested in because why would you be? That's, I guess, his job. Like, the plot, because there isn't really much of one, it kind of starts in media res in a way where, like, first of all, you get this, a lot of post-production stuff on this. You get, like... There uh, is so much. You get, like, you can see it all. Like, the, the film starts off, right, and there's a quote, and it's, without you, I'm nothing, and or something like that, which is, you know, like, um, like without the fans, I'm nothing or something, and it says Hunter Dunbar, which is the name of the character played by Devin Sawa, and, yes, we'll, we'll, we will talk about Devin Sawa, who is the object of Travolta's affection. And so that feels like it was added in post because he says it out loud at one stage. And I'm like, okay, I guess they put, they put that in in post. And you have these weird kind of like interstitial uh, mosaic kind of collage artwork to represent some scenery from the movie, which isn't the worst idea of all time, but just feels out of place. But crucially, there's a fucking do voiceover. You, do, you, do you know who did the animations? It was it Fred Durst? It was Wes Borland. I was about to say it was Wes Borland. Yeah. yeah, okay, that makes sense. I'm glad they're on terms. You know, that's good to hear. At least they're friends again. Um... So yeah, you get a voiceover from the th- the tertiary character in this movie who is a paparazzi photographer who is friends with Moose, who he helps looks like him. like a 14-year-old girl. She looks like a 15-year-old girl. It doesn't make any sense. Like Travolta's 50. This girl looks about like she's just graduating from high school, if that. And she's a paparazzi photographer who like works the night circuit. And it's not a bad performance from the actor uh, played by, as I scroll Anya through my Golia. Yeah, who I think is like, like in a bunch of TV shows. Yeah, 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 not a bad actor. Like has a degree of presence, but the character makes no sense. And you would think it'd be played by like, say, I don't know, fucking Carrie Ann Moss and not someone who is 17. Why are they friends? She's like, I love you, Moose. And I'm like, why? Yeah. 
I, I, I never got what their the relationship was. And she also like puts her job on the line to get him to, into a to, party to, where when she knows how he behaves. Yes. And that he's going to be. So he's obsessed with a film actor called Hunter Dunbar, who played by Devon Sawa, he of Final Destination 1 and 2 fame. I thought you were going to say Hunter Dunbar, he of Ghost Train, the Carver 1, the Sorry, Carver 2, yeah, of course. the Carver 3, Space <laughs> Vampires, and The Warrior. The film <laughs> seems to know what that is, because at one point it shows you like a clip from his movies and it's clearly shit. Like it's yeah, clearly yeah. like, you know... And there's elements that they get right, you know, like they get the idea of the CD comic book store and the fans who are kind of gross, like the, the your obsessed fans and whatever. Like you know, it's it has moments of authenticity, and I don't doubt that Fred Durst went through some harrowing experiences of his own at the height of his fame. And John Travolta, and John Travolta too, uh, maybe even Devin Sawa, who of course was the original Stan. He's in the Stan video. Now I'll say this right, and again, no judgment. I don't like commenting on people's appearances or anything. And he's a very fit man, and he seems to be a happy he dude. He is jacked. He is jacked to fuck. But he looks like like he's aged quite a lot. Maybe it's because I haven't seen him in fucking 20 years. But, yeah. you know, I've, I've, I've I, mean, seen, I mean, he must be in his 40s. 40s I've 40s. seen the guy on Twitter and stuff. He seems like a nice family man, all that kind of stuff. But in this film, he looks less a movie star and more a personal trainer. Like, he looks like he's about to, like... Absolutely. T- Particularly, like, <laughs> like how, how they dress him. Like, he dresses terribly for a movie star. Like, there's a scene where... He's basically he, just wearing Under Armour all the time. Yeah. Like, yeah. And even, even there's, like, one scene where he goes out. Um, Moose has, like, snuck into his house the first or second. He sneaks into his house quite a lot. Um, with ease, yeah. With ease. Um, and he's like, he's like going out and he's like, oh, blazer. And he's still wearing like his, his Under Armour, but he just throws this like awful um, kind of wine <laughs> blazer on top. It's like, this guy is not a movie star. He's like a jeans and shoes lad. <laughs> <laughs> so he's um the, yeah he's like Travolta's obsessed with the guy thinks he might be at a party he isn't he gets he freaks out about it because Travolta throws a lot of tantrums in this movie because he's got the mind of a child um the whole film stems around how he wants to get his autograph he buys this kind of weird leather daddy fucking uh, thing which is Rico what was the character Rico a character you play but again Travolta wearing this thing inside out invites invites its own Freudian stuff you know and whatever but like. Doesn't get it, scares him off, it becomes confrontational, he eventually breaks into his house, he eventually murders someone accidentally, which the film forgets about for a long time until it does what you think it'll do with it, which makes no sense and could be easily explained away, but the film is not interested in doing that. Um, I'm jumping ahead and spoiling the plot because who cares about the plot? It's essentially a driving force for these actors kind of playing off each other, but there's just nothing really there. And it is genuinely kind of seedy in an irresponsible way, but it's less about what the film has to say and more about how it says it. Yeah, and it like it gets gross. It does. Um, who, like, who do you think we're supposed to be cheering for in this film? Like, is it Moose? Is it, <laughs> are you supposed to be like... Yeah, good guy. Or like, are you supposed to feel any empathy for Hunter Dunbar? I think, spoiler alert, by the time Hunter Dunbar uh, develops some bloodlust and stabs Travolta through the eye as he is screaming. Well, he first shoots off his hand like he is one of <laughs> Clarence Bodeker's crew in Robocop. <laughs> he blows his fingers off with a shotgun after tricking this easily uh, impressionable, vulnerable man into untying him, having tied him up in the first place. And then tortures him. By deafens like, him. Deafens him. And then, for again, like after running out of bullets with the shotgun that he has, because he's going to kill him, pulls out a fucking Rambo knife and rams it through Travolta's eye, which doesn't kill him. And I guess Devin Zayo then has a crisis of conscience about the whole situation. I guess you're supposed to be on his side. Maybe not until that moment. And then at the end, it switches or something. Like, you know, dual, <sighs> duality of man. I found that scene so unsettling. It's like, gross. The, Travolta's screaming in that. Horrific. Was so 
affecting though. Yeah, he's begging like a fucking, you know, like crying animal. Like he's, it's just, it's gross. Like you say Hunter Dunbar, we, we probably are supposed to be on his side uh, up until that point. But there is something that kind of tilts, nods, tips its cap towards the fact that maybe he's not actually that great guy at all. Uh, we're going to hear a clip of it. Is this Limp Bizkit clip? <laughs> you okay with some music? You like a little Limp Bizkit? Sure. You like a little Bizkit? Yeah. Yeah? It's loud. I used to listen to this back in the day. This is hot. Oh, my God. That is nice. That is nice. I mean, okay, first of all, right? Fair enough. Fred Durst wants you to know Limp Bizkit are still a thing. But he throws on Limp Bizkit in the car with his son, right? And he's basically like, I used to listen to this back in the day, it's class. He's playing a song like... I have never heard this Limp Bizkit song, (laughs) and I used to love Limp Bizkit. I used to fucking love Limp Bizkit, man. I was obsessed with them when I was a teenager. I was the owner of a red Yankees baseball cap. I was not, but I had a significant (laughs) other poster on the back of my door, and I had the first three records, which I was fucking crazy about, and then I kind of went off them a little bit. This is a song called The Truth from The Unquestionable Truth, which is like a mini album that came out in 2005. Like, we're long past the height of the fame, the golden era, whatever you want to call it, Surely you put on fucking, you know, break Rollin', stuff. Yeah. Rolling or fucking, you know, anything from the first two or three records. Like, can Fred Durst not even clear his own songs? Maybe he really like thinks... Like, is that, is that how little money was in this? <laughs> He's just like, the rest of the guys in the band were like, nah. <laughs> yeah. John Otto was yeah. like, no. Hold out. No. Give them something off that 2005 thing that we did. Yeah, really strange. If you're going to, like, go there, then go there? Yeah. Odd. Just odd choices all around. And again, like, is that meant to be ironic? Is it meant to be knowing? Is it meant to be like, oh, I'm, ha- I'm in on the joke here? Or is he, it just advertising? I think he's kind of supposed to be. He, he has a douchey bonus about him. Um, like his first meeting with Moose, he, he says like, how about I sign your face with my fucking fist? He's like pretty aggressive. He's clearly so sexually harassing uh, poor Dora the maid who gets dispatched by Moose. Yeah. You said by accident. So I first, <laughs> I, I rewatched that scene. She is beating him with a feather duster. Yeah. Um, I thought he just kind of pushed her and she fell and hit her head. He actually, and I had just recently rewatched A History of Violence, he full on palm shotted her to the nose, pushing her nose <laughs> into her brain. Oh my God. Because <laughs> I was like, Oh no, I, it must have been a push. And I was like, no, that was like, that's an efficient <laughs> kill. I've only ever seen that in two other movies, one of which is A History of Violence. And I believe Paddy Considine does it in Dead Man's Shoes. Two very grim, <laughs> grim films. I can give you a third one. Please do. It's the driving plot of Con Air, my friend. Oh, yeah. Your hands are lethal weapons. Because he does the exact, yeah, the fucking palm palm strike into the nose, (laughs) which drives your nose into your brain. So hang on, so what you're saying is she was dead before she smashed her head off the fountain. Oh, she was dead. Like once that, because there's so much blood around the nose. I thought it was an accident. No, I, I, uh, you know, roll that tape back. You're calling it rage murder. Pretty much, yeah. Okay, well, Devin Sawa gets blamed for it, which, again, all he has to do is open his mouth and say, there's lots of evidence. <laughs> I have so much physical evidence. I have so much tangential evidence. I did not do this. There, this man did it. There is a grown man's fingers on my bedroom <laughs> floor. 
he is currently wandering around Hollywood Boulevard with now. no eye, You'll find no hand. Him. Like, like again, like I mean, like, like don't try and tell me movie that Travolta gets away with this and Devin Sabo goes to jail because one conversation with the cops, who are presumably big Hunter Dunbar fans, so yeah, it fails. It fails on like a plot level. If it, it fails on a macro level, it fails on a micro level. It's, but I wasn't like, I, I wasn't like ban this sick filth. You know, no. it's just like what a what a waste of time. Um, is there any other redeeming qualities that you thought it had? No. <laughs> like, I thought I, it looked okay. It looked fine. So it was it uh, terribly directed. The, like, the, the the cinematographer was. And at first, it threw me because I was like, "It can't it's, be." It's, it was like it was Conrad Hall, W. Hall, Conrad and I was w. like, Hall. "Conrad Hall is, I'm sure, dead." Yes, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure like went out on like Road to Perdition. Or yeah, something, like which is one of the best all times you'll ever see. <laughs> and I was like, "They couldn't be." And I was like, "Is it his son?" I think it's just not even. They're not even related, are they? Uh, no, I do believe it is his son. Is it his son? Yeah, because he um, this Conrad Hall had worked in like the camera department a lot and he worked on American Beauty. Oh, okay. He also was like a camera operator for David Fincher a lot. He wow. was camera operator in Fight Club and Panic yeah. Oh sorry, on Seven. He was actually the director of photography on Panic Room, which is like again a good looking film. I think yeah. this film looks a lot better than it should. Yes. Like there's some nice there's some nice shots in it. Like there's a after um Hunter Starts his like maiming of uh, of, of moose. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Um, there's a scene where it's just like moose is like crawling along the floor, and he's just like in shadows, and it's like backlit by the room. It's like that. There's some nice stuff in it. Um, <laughs> Fucking hell! The, like it's uh, yeah, it's it's. But it's, y- how could you recommend like like who? No, I'm, 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 who is it for? Like what is in any way? Because like some people, some people in their their if you go through that eighteen percent Rotten Tomato score, you'll find some reviews. They're like scathing analysis of the toxicity of the modern fan. It's like that's not what this is. No, it this isn't. is like it's 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 unabashedly like a gritty. It is like a genre pick. It's like a B movie. Yeah, probably has bigger notions. Fred certainly in Fred Durst's head. Hundred percent. Yeah, um, it's severely misguided. I don't think it's harmful. I think it's stupid. I, th- I think you look at it and you're like, it's just dumb. It's just, you know, it is problematic, but not enough to take it seriously. You know? I and mean, like, like, not that many people are really going to see it. No, no one's going to fucking see it. It, it did a <laughs> like, massive sum of $3,152 at the American box office. Oh my God. I, 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 so, I thought it was straight to VOD. No, so a thing... Like, are I you think, telling me to go a theatrical release for Oscar contention? Is that like... Um, perhaps, yeah. Like, Gotti <laughs> got a, a small theatrical release as well. Oh, yeah, I think yeah, like yeah. it's just an ego thing for Travolta. Do you know who one of the producers on this film is? Charlie's Theron. Bill Kenwright, chairman of Everton. What? Yeah, did you not notice Bill Kenwright pictures at the start? You're kidding. I am not kidding. Wow. So, <laughs> what? <laughs> there, whoa, that's, that's, yeah, Jesus. I, I don't know what to say. I just don't know what to say, Dave. Um, yeah, let me, we, we never really touched on this, uh, the voiceover. I know we mentioned it. Yeah, clearly post-production. Post-production has no no need so so terribly written yeah um, the voiceover makes no sense from any point of view because first of all the voiceover is by his friend and she's like you know Hollywood it's a hell of a time <laughs> Moose hell of a guy this is a hell of a story that kind of stuff like it's meant to be some kind of weird Greek chorus thing I think yeah but it's this not at all like this is like a fable there's so many like 
bad lines of like, you know, Moose is like breaking in for like the second time. And just like out of nowhere, the, the voiceover comes in. It's like, when you find the cookie jar, it's hard not to go back for more. It's like, <laughs> what is this? There's, there's like, there's an all timer line in it as well. The, I suppose we might as well hear a clip of it. Moose didn't just cross the line. He fucking nuked it. Honestly, I'd be scared too. Poor Moosey. Yeah, I mean, you know, it doesn't really make sense. You know, like 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 none of it makes sense, and I don't know what they're going for. Maybe they only shot a certain amount of film, and they're like, we need to. They clearly did. It's <laughs> if they're doing seventeen days, like there's. Um, it's it's like it's really badly made, and you can see that there's no coverage at all. There's there's, there's a scene in where before where he shoots Moose, where they haven't really established the room, and um, they've had like a close up of Hunter like tied to the bed. And then Moose is kind of like, you see Moose and then like they cut in and it's all like really tight framing on him. And then he kind of tries to like, oh, you know, maybe, you know, we'll be friends. We'll go for ice cream. He's like, you're my, my maid and we'll like, I'll give you an autograph. And then he's like, starts to untie him. And then like Hunter just like puts his hand up <laughs> and just like, you know, gets a shotgun out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. what? He mentions that he has a shotgun, but like literally just like pulls yeah. it out of thin air. And again, like shotgun above the bed, Rambo knife in the bedside locker. Who is this man? Yeah, like hand grenade under the pillow. He's a child in his house. <laughs> also, that scene also has a weird thing where it turns into a fucking typo negative video for no reason. Where it goes like super pink it and just put like a weird purple. filter over it. And yeah. it's like, you're not David Lynch. You can't pull this off. Okay. It is what it is. It isn't to recommend. It's out in the world. If you want to see it, go see it. I don't fucking know. Uh, that's, yeah, that's all I got, man. I mean, I'll say this, right? I would not watch a Fred Durst movie ever again. He's made a couple of films. But apparently he's been received kind of well. He made one with Anton Yelchin, didn't he? Like, no, uh, Jesse Eisenberg. Okay, right. Um, what am I the Education of? of Charlie Banks. Yeah, it was like before Eisenberg did Certainly Social Network. Right, okay. So he paved the way. Before Adventureland. Yeah, kind of before he blew up. After Squid and the Whale. Okay. And then he made like a a sports comedy with Ice Cube. Which is, you know, just kind of one of these like, I guess I'll take a gig. Apparently he said that he always wanted to be a film director before he wanted to be a musician. I believe that. Everyone like, actors want to be musicians, musicians want to be actors. I hadn't realized that he directed pretty much all of Limp Bizkit's videos. And he, he kind of, when they first started Limp Bizkit, he wanted to direct the Fate video, but the label wouldn't let him. And they got Peter Berg to do it. And then he was like, okay, I quit the band, so we're not doing it. And then they were like, okay, you can do it, Fred. And that's, <laughs> that's been his way in. He was apparently very uh, very taken under the wing of David Fincher. So right. we have David to thank. Thanks, David. Um, Excellent. All right, that's it. That's the Fanatic. What else we got? Um, what kind of, I guess we touched on it, but have you got some favorite Travolta performances unfortunately there's no quiz because <laughs> we've done eight podcasts but three of them have been very 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 new metal adjacent <laughs> so, where does a man go fair enough we'll work on a quiz for next time uh travolta performances i mean face off's number one face off is one well hang on no because no yeah like he gets face face off's up there Bro- broken arrow i think is up there for sure uh pull fiction's up there I mean, yeah i don't know I mean, like, like what what am i missing here blow out 
Oh, it's amazing, but like I, I'm drawn to 90s scenery fucking chewing Travolta, you know? Um, I think he's incredible in Saturday Night Fever. Okay. Um, which is a fantastic He's very film. good in Greece. You can't take it away from him. Yeah. Great yeah. dancer. Like, he, again, like, presence is <laughs> bonkers. Uh, I mean, From Paris With Love is a bad movie, but he's hilarious in it. Like, he's just such a ridiculous force in that movie. No, Face Off's great because he gets to go from, like, you know, annoying like fucking running your hand over your face sad man to like chewing the scenery like in every fucking sequence like it's yeah it's good okay i'll give you one last question considering you're a big face-off fan who are your face-off remake <laughs> this was asked no encore recently and i kind of froze i thought a bit more about it and i think michael shannon should be in there okay get him in there and sean penn no <laughs> i don't know you oh know, god like, no i'm kidding i don't know like miles teller comes to mind for some reason like, like like it's it's a really tricky one if i never saw a movie with miles teller in it <laughs> again so you it didn't would watch be you, didn't, you didn't watch the 10 part nicholas winding Revan amazon show no i've apart from the day that you text me about it <laughs> i have totally forgot that it exists there you go yeah i've forgotten it exists and i watched all 14 hours or whatever it was um i i still haven't come up with the perfect equation what about you i yeah it's it's not i don't know i kind of feel like you have to do something very 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 wildly different if you're going to do it like whether it's you know i don't want to just do the i don't know i i also haven't really thought about it too much so i'd like to see chris pine in there okay i think he could do it i think chris yeah. pine would be a good one yeah and i just gotta try and find someone to match him i'll think about it Miles Teller. <laughs> Tom Hardy and Logan Marshall Green. That would be <laughs> fucking amazing. You, you've nailed it. I think Chris Pine and Tom Hardy. Yeah? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm up for that. Robert Pattinson and Harry Styles. Okay, yeah. That would sell tickets. It sure would. I think whatever we're going to get will, will, will be nowhere near as fun or as violent or as chaotic like face off is kind of gross, but it's, it's really like gross. it's over time where you can get away with being it's a, a little nasty bit grosser. Film. Yeah, yeah. I think it's well, nasty. I don't think you can do it. <laughs> I think face off is nastier than people remember. It's like it's got some really nasty stuff in it. Like like Castle Troy is essentially a pedophile. It's gross. Yeah, like people getting burned alive. Uh, it's it's really it's it's a pretty ugly film. John Woo was not in a good place. No, but yeah, it's got moments. All right, so next film we're gonna try and get this out for spooky season, are we? Yeah, um, just we will. <laughs> anyone who has tracked down Fubar, we will get to it. Yeah, but sorry, yeah. we want to get something in for the Halloween season. Yeah, and it won't take two months this time. No. So once I'm back from my holidays, it'll be the first thing I'll do. You're going on a fucking a marathon. That's not a holiday. I'm going on a holiday after the marathon. Oh yeah, yeah. Where? I told you this. I'm doing the marathon. Yeah. In Munich, and then I'm going to Sicily, going to Palermo for a few days. You love going to Italy after a marathon. I do, and because it's a great place to eat. Eating your weight, yeah. And then yeah. I'm going to Marseille for a few days Fuck. to go to a Marseille game. Good lord! To see Dimitri Payet in the flesh <laughs> and Andre Villas-Boas. <laughs> nice. You got a jersey? Um, maybe a scarf. Not really a jersey guy. But okay, our next film will be. Time is fleeting, madness takes its toll, but listen closely. Not for very much longer. I've got to keep control.
And I can't believe that you haven't seen the Rocky Horror Picture Show. No, and how have you not seen this film? So to 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 listeners who like grew up or probably in their thirties uh, in Dublin, that's me. If you remember the classic cinema, like I'm talking about, like when I was a teenager, they used to show the Rocky Horror Picture Show every Friday night, and I always was like, oh, if I'm gonna go see it, I'm gonna go see it there, and then it's. I mean, that place has been knocked down at least fifteen years by now, so. I kind of feel like it, like in my head, it's a movie that is just like this communal experience as opposed to being a movie because apparently everyone just used to go apeshit. It's probably like not unlike going to a stop making sense in the lighthouse or whatever, where people yeah. are just like running around the aisles. But, you know, if rumors are true with a lot more exchange of bodily fluids. Yeah. So I never saw it in the cinema. I saw it like as a kid, which is way too rare to see this movie. Um, and yeah, I just grew up with it. Um, spoiler alert for the next episode. I think this is a masterpiece. I think um, it's exceptional the songs are amazing the performances are fucking brilliant tim curry is it's next level tim curry like i i i i can't i'm so jealous that you that you're gonna watch this for the first time i'm, I'm trying not to hype it up too much because what if you don't like it but like i can't i think i love it because i, can't, I can't have a really really soft spot for musicals and i love a good choreography great choreography great production salt. design great cast the songs are legitimately brilliant they're legitimately brilliant and meatloaf's in it and meatloaf's in it man yeah Richard O'Brien. Very excited. Yeah, it's got it all. Susan Sarandon, Barry Bostwick. Oh boy. They're all there. Okay. Until next time, this has been No Popcorn. There will be No Popcorn. We will actually be back very soon. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Enjoy. Thanks. The order breakfast at the McDonald's drive-thru. Tell yourself you'll wait to eat it at work, but it smells way too good. So you eat it right there in the McDonald's parking lot meal. There's a meal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, get any size iced coffee for 99 cents until 11 a.m. And pair it with your favorite breakfast sandwich or one of our tasty bakery treats. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.